Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 57 of Sports Day Plus. At 645, where are we at in society? When self-driving cars self-possess and a vegan restaurant concedes to the meat. At 6.15, it is the first of my two-segment weekly conversation with Justin Wells of Inside Texas. And in mere seconds, the Seahawks get their new head coach, and we have more signs that the end is nigh between college football and the NCAA. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Courtesy Wave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Up until today, there were just two NFL head coach openings left involving this year's cycle of those axed and in need of replacing. That would be the Seattle Seahawks and the Washington Commanders. Now, thanks to a report from Adam Schefter's ESPN, we all know that that number is down to one. It is just the Commanders who are looking for a new head coach. Because the Baltimore, the Seattle Seahawks, excuse me, have decided that Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald is their next guy. McDonald is receiving a six-year contract to coach the Seahawks. And McDonald immediately becomes the NFL's youngest head coach who is, unsurprisingly, according to the positive stories being written about him right now, looked out as one of the league's bright young defensive minds. And how can you argue with that, by the way? Based on what happened on the field this year. Baltimore, number one scoring defense in the league. Number one at turnovers. Even though the Ravens did just get upset by Kansas City in the championship round a few days ago, that wasn't the defense's fault. Mahomes and company started out hot. They got those two touchdowns pretty quickly, but the Ravens' defense buckled down after that. So what do the commanders do now? I have no idea. Bill Belichick, maybe, although it does seem like he's resigned to just sitting this one out this year, and it also takes the commanders interviewing him to begin with for that to happen. Belichick has only interviewed for one position so far this offseason. That would be the Atlanta Falcons. Nobody else has asked him for an interview. And think about the number of job openings and just what his pedigree is. I think the word is out on Belichick and him needing to mellow out on his expectations and the amount of control that he gets with whatever future job he may hold. A lot of that having to do with decisions on personnel. Any team that's going to bring Bill Belichick in, and this may never happen, by the way, because he may never concede. He may say, look, I'm the best to do it all time at this era. I did it in the salary cap era. And so this is what I need. But teams have the right to say no to that. If Bill Belichick can decide, I'm going to be this team's football coach and control the defense, I'm going to make a good hire for the offensive coordinator, and I'm going to have a say-so in personnel decisions, but I will not be the end-all, that might get him another gig. Otherwise, this could be it for him. Does Pete Carroll end up in Washington? feel like Pete Carroll might be okay sitting out a year, doing some meditation on cliffs in California overlooking the Pacific Ocean. 
But maybe he doesn't want to lose that momentum. It's a weird thing when you're in something that you love and you're really successful and you get to a point where there's almost a fear to not do it. I hear stand-up comedians talk about this from time to time where you go find whatever you can wherever you are because you just feel like if you take a week off, you're not going to be funny anymore. Now, usually that's not true. And those people do eventually take time off and realize that not only will it be okay, it's actually good for you to take a step away from time to time, to recharge, to refresh. may cause you to reconsider how you're doing one thing or another. My guess is Pete Carroll, because he is so grounded and has such a healthy perspective on life, realizes that now might be a good time to just kick back and enjoy. Maybe take an analyst gig for a year. Decide whether you want to get back into that grind. Speaking of grinds, the NCAA is trying to wield its authority this offseason. We're seeing it happen with Michigan. Of course, that goes back into the 2023 year and the preseason, which led to Jim Harbaugh being self-suspended, I guess, for what was it, three or four games? Michigan's still under investigation. The NCAA is in the process of trying to crack down on other prospective NIL violations involving major programs, too. As a matter of fact, it was just yesterday that Pete Thamel of ESPN reported that Tennessee is under investigation by the NCAA for violations related to name image, and likeness. This investigation does put the Vols in the crosshairs for potential sanctions as a repeat violator. An NCAA ruling in the summer of 2023 charged Tennessee with 18 level one violations and fined them $8 million. This most recent issue with Tennessee involves a highly touted quarterback. And you can imagine that it is drawing the ire of Tennessee officials. The AD has come out and said something. The school president has. The Tennessee Chancellor, Donde Plowman, sent an email to NCAA President Charlie Baker saying that the allegations are factually untrue and procedurally flawed. She also called the NCAA rules regarding the NIL intellectually dishonest. Those are the words she used, intellectually dishonest. And so now you have another example of a major program, not quite a blue blood program. Sorry, Tennessee fans, you're not quite there just yet. But another program who plays big-time college football that the NCAA is trying to make an example out of. When the NCAA has created a sort of lawlessness that is allowing these schools to function however they see fit, more beholden to state laws or conference laws than what the NCAA says. And another example of a school that's about to play chicken with the NCAA and what it decides to levy on the school for its perceived violations. And this is why in my tease, I said another example of the NCAA's relationship with college football coming to an end sometime soon at a theater near you. Actually, not at a theater near you. College football will still be 
on the big screen. The NCAA won't be any part of that process. Everybody in college football sees the writing on the wall with all of this right now. As much as they try to say otherwise, they wanted to give Charlie Baker and the NCAA the benefit of the doubt, but they brought Charlie Baker aboard with an understanding that he understood the political side of all of this and could actually get some things done politically as the former governor of Massachusetts. But here we are, I think it's a year into his tenure now, and nothing has come of it. The NCAA continues to insist that college athletes are not university employees. And I understand they're doing schools bidding for them, but it's just not working. And we're still at a standstill. The federal government has done nothing, and it is still up to schools, to conferences, and to states to figure these things out. So at that point, what good is the NCAA for? To arbitrarily stick certain member institutions with rules violations? How they choose to adhere to these things? The NCAA's worthlessness is just more and more glaring with each violation they bring against a new school. And I'm not saying some of this doesn't have merit, but it's also a situation, and I get that the Michigan sign-stealing situation is a little bit different, but a version of what Tennessee is being accused of is happening pretty much everywhere, and you'd have to be a damn fool to think that it's not. All right, coming up, we continue the college sports conversation and more with one of my favorite people around. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. He joins me for a couple of segments coming up next on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It is Wednesday, which means I have the opportunity to spend a couple of segments with one of the best in the business. It is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Give him a follow on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this show for a couple of segments on Wednesdays. Justin, thank you as always for the time. How are we doing this week? Hey now, man, another day, another dollar. Um, End of the month. So, you know how that rolls. Got to make sure we get all everything in order and get get prepared for February. Um, that's how I'm going. <laughs> I'm taking it a day at a time, my man. Trying to wrap up January the right way. You know, I guess it's fitting or maybe it's deserved that we are to this point in January. And there's actually not a ton to talk about right now considering how fruitful this January was for this Texas football team. Of course, disappointingly, they lose on January 1st night to Washington and New Orleans, but there was a lot of action since then. So now is a chance for coaches, players, and guys like yourself to maybe catch your breath before things pick back up in the next month or so. You know, that should have sound good, um, but that's (laughs) just not reality. There's no catching up with, with, your sleep or recovery. Um, <laughs> this job never ends, my man, as you can tell. And so, no, there's there's no there's no time to rest. There's no time to recover. It's go, 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 non, non-stop, 2025 cycle. Uh, winter workouts have kicked off on campus for the Texas football team. The basketball team is toiling in, I don't know, a really, really, really good Big 12 conference, and they're somewhere in the middle. And then um, – before too long, we'll have the Super Bowl and then the NFL draft. So there's there's tons to to catch up on, but 
But if you're talking about taking a day off or recovering, that that does that doesn't exist at Inside Texas. So when there's not a ton of news out there, are you just uh, are you making calls to people, catch uh, catching up, checking in, making sure folks are doing okay, making sure there's not something that you can do for somebody else, as well as writing the occasional player piece. Maybe it's a kid that Texas has in their sights, or maybe it's somebody who is uh, signed, sealed, and delivered and isn't quite on campus yet, but is planning on enrolling uh, once the spring semester ends. Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of things. There's always something you can track. There's always players you can you can catch up with and get the latest. You know, Texas is, is really starting off the 2025 cycle now, but they also recruit 2026 and 2027. So there's always – you're always covering three cycles, and there's always going to be um, – there's always going to be something, you know, from from updates, from the latest to, 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 to things of that sort. But at the same time, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you look for stories. You, you look for, for interesting angles. You look for, for stuff. The harder to, you look, the more likely you are to find something fun, something interesting. You know, on the Inside Texas YouTube channel today, we, we posted a, a – a show, the X's and O's segment with Ian Boyd and Paul Wadlington and myself. And we talked about recruiting rankings mm. and the reality versus, re, you know, the rankings like what, you know, do stars matter? And we had some math there and we looked at some of the numbers over the last 10, 15 years and, and, and you know, geared towards the NFL draft. And so it's one of those things where you get what you put into it. And so if you dig deep enough, you can find some really interesting stories, some really interesting things Sometimes the content is just there. When they host a junior day in Austin, I mean, 120 kids were on campus on January 20th. That's enough for 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 your entire staff. And so you're that, that that's the easy part. The hard part is going and getting the rest of the stories because sometimes they're not just going to fall in your lap like that. And, and so it's it's really just what you put into it. I think that's a great answer there. Speaking of generating. Topics this time of year on three actually just came out with the their top ten college football head coaches per Jesse Simonton. Kirby Smart it's number one. And I think there is a conversation that could be had at two through let's say six, but two through six are Brian Kelly, Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Day, Steve Sarkeesian, and Dabo Sweeney. Do you agree with those rankings? Brian um, Kelly at two. Brian Kelly is the second best coach in college football. I, I don't know if he's a top five coach. Yeah, I'm. I'm Kurt, number one. Kirby Smart is definite. You know, it's, yeah. man, it's so weird. This this off season is going to be so funny, Trey, because Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh, the two most visible coaches in the college football world over the last few years, last you know decade or so, um, combined, they're gone. And and so there, there, there's these opportunities for new angles and new stories and new lists. Uh, do I think Brian Kelly is number two? No, I don't. He's recruiting really well in this 2025 uh, cycle early on. He's got the number one quarterback, number one running back, and number one wide receiver in the country. And so he definitely needs some credit for that. Um, again, it's, you know, 11 months until signing day, but um, – no, I don't think I could put Brian Kelly up there. I'm not sure I could put Ryan Day um, that that high up there either. Um, man, that's a good question. Where's Kyle Winningham on that? 
the Utah coach. Kyle Whittingham, I would actually have him ranked better than this. He's at number eight behind Mike yeah. Norvell. Yeah, I, I would have Kyle Whittingham a lot higher. Um, Kelly and Day would probably have to take a step back. Listen, uh, I give Kalen DeBoer a lot of credit. I think he's in that conversation because his one win-loss record as a head coach in college athletics is unreal. And, and you have to give him credit for what he did at Washington and, and what he can potentially do at Alabama uh, now, now that he's there in Tuscaloosa. It's fascinating. I, you know, for me, my first thought was Winningham in Utah. I, I think no, I don't know if there's a college coach in, in the nation that gets more out of less mm. a, than, than he does over in Utah. Um, I'm a little surprised I didn't hear Dan Lanning's name in that in that earlier conversation. But I'm going to tell you this. I, I think Dan Lanning is an excellent young coach. Agreed. You know, he's got the Georgia he's roots. He's got the Alabama you know, tree to, to his name. And, you know, he just had a really good season with Bo Nix and, and the Ducks up there in the Pacific Northwest. But he is putting all his eggs in the Dylan Gabriel basket for mm. 2024. And so I'm not real certain about his – I'm a little – I'm a little, I'm going to hold back a little bit more on landing until I know a little bit more. He's also got some Tom Herman to him. And we've all seen what that – what happens when that uh, is, you know, is the, is the place. And so – um, that's a pretty good subject, though. And where's Chris Kleinman? Chris you Kleinman is not about? on this list anywhere. Uh, Lincoln Riley is Boyd. nine, and Lane Kiffin is ten. Boyd, Chris Kleinman is like Kyle Whittingham. That guy gets more out of nothing, and and and, and maybe this was a popularity list because Lane Kiffin is is outside of Kirby. Lane Kiffin might be the most popular guy in college football in in coaching these days right now. He is a master on social media. He is tremendous with, with mocking the media and, and, and having fun. And, and, and I mean, I, I enjoy the guy. Like most college coaches, I don't, I don't follow on Twitter. But Lane Kiffin is a must follow. That guy is – he understands his role and really does a good job. So I like Lane. But no Chris Kleiman makes me a little leery. Uh, no – uh, Kyle Whitt- or Kyle Whittingham is 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 as low as he was is also a little I'm a little hesitant on that one as well and so I like Mike Norvell I think he's he's done a a great job in Tuscaloosa I'm Tuscaloosa Tallahassee rather uh, and I, I think they'll only get better even though they're having to change out a lot of that program um, but that you know that that's the fun thing about off seasoning we get we get to look at these lists we get to talk about them we get to go through it and at the end of the day as long as Sark's in the top five. I think that's a good spot because he took over a program in Austin that needed incredible changeover in roster and in culture, and he has been nothing short of fantastic. The trajectory continues to go up. He continues to recruit at a high level, bring in portal guys at a high level. And so as long as Sark's in the top five, I think it's pretty legit. But I'm I'm hesitant on guys like Brian Kelly and and Ryan Day. I want to see more from them. And I would definitely put Kyle Winningham and Chris Kleiman ahead of those two. For whatever it's worth, these arbitrary rankings, because they are arbitrary, but it's fun to talk about these things. The just missed list is Dan Lanning, Lance Leopold, Chris Kleiman, and Josh Heupel. So I think the most interesting name on this list, though, might be Dabo Swinney, considering that he has a couple of national championships. But he comes in at number six, and that's largely a matter of what have you done for me lately? And Dabo has been very slow to change with the times. 
And as we've seen, not just in sports, but in any walk of life, no matter how good you are, if you are unwilling or unflexible in your ability to to change with whatever the current situation necessitates, you will get left behind pretty quickly. Yeah, Debbie Sweeney needs to watch the movie Moneyball. <laughs> and he needs to watch the scene where Brad Pitt is telling uh, Grady Fusion, his, his head scout, adapt or die. And, um, you know, Dabo gets Dabo gets on there because of the two natties. But it, I'm telling you, that's Mac Brown 2.0. And we're seeing the latter part of Sweeney now in the latter part of Mac Brown, especially his last few years in Austin. And so I get it. You know, he's got two national championships. There's only a handful of coaches left in college football that have a national championship as a head coach. So I honestly, I think you probably have to put Sweeney on there, but if they do that list in 24 more months, he's not in the top 10. I, I, I honestly don't think, I don't think you would, you would be able to put him there. Yeah, that is a great point. By the way, Steve Sarkeesian wouldn't have been on this list a year ago, but it's funny how quickly things change with a year of success, but also yeah. him really showing people what he's capable of as a program builder as well. And getting this roster ready this year, despite losing Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, to Marvion Overshone, and a couple of other important guys off the previous year's roster, and the same thing is this year. He's losing some huge guys on each side of the ball, especially on offense. But through a combination of guys on the roster, transfer portal, and then maybe the occasional high school recruit coming in, people feel really good about the direction of things headed forward. All right, he is Justin Wells of Inside Texas. One more segment coming up. We will talk about that basketball team as well as some NFL chatter on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back for one more segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas. InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Justin Wells 2424 on Twitter. And a guy who is nice enough to join this very radio show on Wednesdays for a couple of segments, usually starting right around 6.15. Justin, you briefly mentioned the Texas basketball team last segment. Two steps forward, two steps back, or maybe it's a step and a half back if you're taking Monday as a moral victory. But just as quickly as Texas starts to get people excited about the direction of the program once again with wins over Baylor at Oklahoma, they lose an ugly one at BYU. And yes, they did bounce back and make it close against the number four Houston Cougars. Ultimately, they do lose that one in overtime as well. Where are you with this basketball team right now? Yeah, I'm 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 borderline indifferent on this squad, and I'll tell you why. Um, there's some good college basketball players on this team. There really are some really quality bas- quality college basketball players. I think there's one NBA player, and that's Dylan Mitchell. Mm. Um, outside of that, I don't see any of these other guys, you know, sticking around in the NBA. They may make a roster, maybe a, a 10 day free agent contract sort of stuff, but I, I I just don't see the the talent level there. Um, they play hard, so you can give Rodney Terry credit for that. They play hard. Um, they don't have an identity, and for me, I, I don't know what to expect game to game from that group. And and to me, that's the antithesis of a program: is what's your identity? Like, what do you do really well, and what are your weaknesses? What do you have to work on? And with Texas, I feel like it's always a mixed bag. They went and beat Baylor, a good Baylor team, and then they thumped Oklahoma, 
who can be who can also you know Porter Moser's done a good job there and Norman they're they're a pretty solid team. Then they get embarrassed by BYU not just because BYU shot what seventy percent from three but because of the whole horns down T shirt thing which was obviously misunderstood. Um, then they hosted Houston and I guess, you know my son and I watched it on Monday night. Uh, we went back and forth between that one and the Mavericks and uh, Magic game, and they shot the ball uncharacteristically well in the first half. I think they went nine of eleven from three, I believe, in the first half, and and they only had a small margin. And I thought, man, if they're playing this well and they're not separating, that's a problem. And 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 in an instance, I feel like. Even with this team coming off coming off the heels of a of, a, of an elite eight run and, and literally ten minutes from a final four in, in last season, I I know the expectations were a little bit lower because they lost guys and, and of that sort. But Houston looked like they'd been there before. Houston looked like they've been in close games and they knew how to pull out close games. Whereas Texas, again, not necessarily having an identity. You know, they played well enough to stay in the game. I think I think Moody. I think the Moody Arena is a place where uh, they have somewhat of an advantage. I think there's some home court there that really helps them because the Texas fans, they really support them in that in that building. And, and those are fun games in a fun arena. And so I think they get some of that advantage. I just felt like they played as well as they could, and they still couldn't separate from Houston. Now, granted, Houston's number four team in the country, Kelvin Sampson's built a monster there. Jamal Shedd is a future NFL player, among others on that squad. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a conference in basketball this good. I mean, back to the old Big East days, I'm reminded in the 90s, of, you know, with Georgetown and UConn and, and Syracuse and, and just those, those were always power, power conferences, power, fun, you know, end of the season tournaments. Then the ACC, you know, forever, Duke, North Carolina, NC State, you know, the, the, they were Wake Forest. You know, those were always solid conferences. It was always brutal going through those, you know, week to week. I can't remember a conference like the Big 12 this year. I mean, look at one through number nine, and there's like two games that separate one through nine. It is going to be absolute hell for the for the college basketball committee when it comes to tournament time to not only figure out who's coming in from the Big 12, but how to seed these guys because they're basically beating up on each other. It's it's a similar argument to the SEC in football, you know, in the previous five to seven years where you get through there, you're looking pretty good because you're literally getting beat up every other every other game in that conference. And so I, I do want to tip my cap to, to the Big 12 and the fact they're adding Arizona next year. I mean, they're just it's just going to be a death death march playing in it. And that should prepare teams for the for the for the tournament. You know that that should make the big dance a, a lot more fun for a lot of these teams that are that are in conference. Um, I don't think Texas is a bad team. I don't think they're the best team. I think they're somewhere in the middle. I think if they can shoot as well as they did in the first half against Houston, they've got a chance to make a little run. But until they find an identity, and until they can do it on a consistent basis, and until Tyrese Hunter can stop leaving his feet without knowing what he's going to do with the basketball, I, I, I'm indifferent because I, I think this team is is kind of lacking a little edge that they had last year. And, and I think that begins and ends with Rodney Terry. Yeah, and unfortunately, if this team ends up missing the tournament 
and has to play in the NIT, which consider me completely checked out at that point. I'm not watching Texas basketball games of the NIT. That is the everyone gets a trophy tournament for college basketball, especially with 68 teams in the tournament. The season will be looked at in even more of a negative light because of what happened with Rodney Terry after that UCF game. I mean, that's something that is going to stick with him until his time at Texas comes to an end, if it comes to an end. I hope things work out for Rodney Terry. I hope they get it figured out this year. I hope he's able to reload the roster this offseason. He was dealt with a a bit of a bummer of a hand because he lost both of his highly touted recruits who went to play professionally this last offseason. But if and when it doesn't work out for Rodney Terry, that will be one of those moments that people think back on as uh, a red flag as to maybe why things won't work out in the end. Trey, you absolutely nailed it. Um, I, I, I just I can't remember a time where a head coach was less self-aware. You, in this day and age, and I get it, it it's different in 2024 than it was in the past. I get it. The old school style, you know, you, you used to, you know, be a little bit more humble and a little bit more, um, you know, less taunting. But man, Trey, you got to be aware of your circumstances. You got to be aware of your situation. And in and, and any the fact that he brought light to something that 99% of Texas fans don't care about, all it did was fuel social media and the narrative. He recreated a narrative that Texas fans have been trying to bury justifiably for years. And I felt like they had almost put it under the, put it under the, the house. Like I felt like it was done. And then the, 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 the lack of self-awareness of Rodney Terry is scary and it's going to set the program back. He's going to, I, I hope things work out. I hope they get this season together and they make a run, but I'm telling you, there's some boosters and there's some fans and there's some alums that are still upset with that way he handled that. And for me, I was just floored. I, I just couldn't understand that he didn't have any sort of awareness of his situation of what's been going on in athletics with the University of Texas over the last five to ten years. And all he did was put a red light on it. He just shined it even brighter. And, man, that was a dead subject. But Rodney Terry decided to get a shovel and dig it up from the grave. And my man, I just don't think that ends well. Yeah, guess what? You're going to have to be dealing with an even heavier doser of the rest of the way, Rodney Terry, on the road. The horns down bit. I mean, it's going to be more in your face than you ever could have imagined because you committed the cardinal sin that fans... Some fans have to be reminded that we as Texas fans, even if you care, don't show that you care because it makes the problem worse. It's always Texas coaches that cause this story to resurface. It was Tom Herman, speaking of not self-aware, it was Tom Herman several years ago. Heck, Mac Brown made a big issue out of it prior than that as well. I don't know what it is uh, about Texas coaches feeling the need to go there, but it never ends well for them. No, no, and I'm glad you made examples. I'd actually forgotten about that. Um, yeah, it, 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 you've got to be ahead of the times. You've got to be aware of kind of what's going on in, in your in your college realm. And in your realm, you're the coach of the University of Texas. And if you're seeing fans of other of opponents putting the horns down, buddy, that's called college basketball. That's called college athletics. That's called taunt. That, that, that's, that's what makes some of the sport fun. That's part of the excitement. You know, the, I, I can remember it was a time where you put it down and, and, and you would see some Texas players kind of motivated. 
you, you'd see it backfire a lot of times. I can I remember Texas A&M in baseball. I don't know how many times we've seen Texas A&M do it in baseball and it backfire and actually help Texas. But at the same time, the Texas coaches were aware at the time of, of the effect it had. You know, let the players say something if they want to. If they don't say anything, damn, your coach better not say anything. Or else bury it in your memory and use it as added motivation just in general, but especially if you get to play that team again. Yeah, even and I'm even suspect with that. If that's part of the motivation, buddy, they they need some they need some more self motivating. <laughs> I, I I almost feel like that's a cop out in some instances. I feel bad because I don't think Terry recovers. I don't know if he recovers from it. And I know that sounds extreme, but talk to alums, talk to boosters, talk to basketball people that have a vested interest. Talk to the people at Moody. They're not happy with that. And Terry's, it's going to take some time and some wins to get that out of people's minds. And they have a couple more opportunities against ranked opponents this weekend. They are in Fort Worth for number 25 TCU. And then Iowa State comes to town next week. Iowa State is a top 12 opponent right now. So a couple more good opportunities for Texas to continue riding the ship or maybe things revert to form prior to those Baylor and Oklahoma wins. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Give him a follow on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this very radio show for a couple of segments on Wednesdays. Justin, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Hey, my man, nothing but love. Coming up and where are we at in society when self-driving cars self-repossess it's sports day plus with trey ellie it's sports day plus with trey ellie coming up it is where we at in society first though i wanted to let you know about a friend of mine his name is brian hummel his website hummelrealtor.com are you searching for your dream home in Austin? Or maybe you're curious about how much your home is worth? Look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Ryan brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. Strange times here in Central Texas over the last year or so as we've seen things cool off on the housing market that was so scorching hot just a few years ago. But guess what? Signs are pointing to things going upward. It's that interesting time where things are good for both the buyer and the seller. If you are either, I encourage you to contact Brian today at 512-619-1347. That's 619-1347. Or log on to his website, HummelRealtor.com. That's H-U-M-M-E-L, Realtor.com. Brian Hummel with Realty One, the one you need. It is the final segment of the show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. 
Very occasionally, I will bring you something positive, something that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day, and we start in the world of automobiles. You a fan of self-driving cars? I'm a fan of self-driving cars in a sense. I don't necessarily want to have a self-driving car, although I think I could be swayed if there were really bad traffic or maybe it's a really long road trip where I'd like to lean back and relax and just watch a show on my phone. I don't totally trust the technology just yet, but I understand its worth. I understand its value. How is that? Well, I drive around this city and I see just how many people are distracted by their phones or whatever else is in their hands instead of keeping their eyes on the road. My kids, as a matter of fact, we play a fun game where they point out all the people who are distracted by their phones so we could get a little bit further ahead of them or not so close to them because inevitably something bad is going to happen. And that's why I get the value of the self-driving car. It's for you people, not for me. But... Like with any potential good thing, it might have its downsides, especially if you are delinquent on your car payment. The Ford Motor Company, according to a document recently published on the U.S. Patent and Trade Office, Trademark Office website, said that Ford is considering a system that would allow a car to, on its own, leave if you stop making your monthly auto payments. That's right, the car would drive back to the dealership, self-repossessed, if you will. Don't worry, though, if you are out there right now and you're regularly late on your payments. Ford's 14-page application was filled with ideas for getting the people pay up prior to the car self-possessing. Prior to that, for instance... Delinquent payers would be subject to a litany of annoyances. First, badgering messages on smartphones and on the screens inside the car would appear. These messages would demand at least an acknowledgement or better yet, an on-the-spot payment. If the owner continues ignoring these messages, the vehicle would, in the words of Ford's patent application, quote, initiate execution of a multi-step repossession procedure. Step one, Involves making the owner pay in other ways. Features like the air conditioning, cruise control, or radio might stop working. Wow. And by the way, some of this is already possible in many vehicles. You take away my air conditioning in the middle of the Texas summer or my radio any day of the year, that's going to be a problem. Or I'm just going to have to play it off of my phone and hold it straight up to my ear. Cruise control is less of an issue, but the air conditioning and the radio bit could be a big one. If those things don't work, according to this 14-page patent application, the vehicle could become proactively irritating. The stereo might be programmed to emit an incessant and unpleasant sound every time the owner is present in the vehicle. According to the patent, there would be just one way to turn off the noise. You got it. Contacting that lending institution and making your payments, you delinquent. After that, the car would make itself unusable by, for starters, refusing to unlock its doors. But according to the CNN Business article, that's where things do start to get complicated, though. 
because at that point you're messing with people's livelihoods. But then again, if the car is self-possessing, you're also doing that as well. How about the annoying noise in the car? Thought they were going to go with something different. Like, I love my wife and kids. They don't annoy me. They talk all the time in the car when I'm driving. But maybe a different family dynamic playing through the speakers. Somebody else's wife and somebody else's two to three to five kids just hammering you with questions. Why, what, where, when, how long. Then again... As I just talked about, this isn't just exclusive to drivers. Most families now are all distracted by their phones and cars. Kids in the backseat, mom or dad in shotgun, and then whoever's driving. Hopefully the eyes are on the road. The likelihood, though, based on the sample size that we see in Austin every day, that's not the case. Ford did respond to CNN Business and their inquiry about all of this. We don't have plans to deploy this, they said in a statement, pointing out that the company was granted, not just applied for, but actually granted 1,300 plus patents last year. That's an average of 3.7 patents per day. Companies apply for patents to protect ideas from being used by others, whether or not they may actually use the intellectual property themselves. But let's not fool ourselves here. This one does seem rife to be used. Assuming that you can make sure that you're not going to have the car drive off with kids buckled in. This one's going to be used. Just a matter of whether you have the car open the garage door itself. If there is a garage at play, close the garage and then drive back to the dealership late at night. Oh, can you imagine how infuriating that would be to wake up that next day and realize you no longer have a car? It's your own damn fault. I mean, hell, the radio stopped working weeks ago. You've been just droning, drowning out that annoying noise coming from your speakers, that random family from Wisconsin who is constantly complaining about things and playing the alphabet game. That accent gets grating after 15 minutes, much less three days worth. You've ignored all of that, though, so congratulations. You are without a car going forward. Moving on now to England for this next story. Headline. Vegan restaurant starts serving meat in order to stay open. Nomus Gastrobar. Made the announcement on Tuesday, January 23rd, that it had come to the difficult yet necessary decision to add meat options to its menu in order for the business to survive. How dare they try and figure out a way to survive? The owner said in the announcement that the restaurant has, quote, faced in recent times challenges that have been heartfelt and profound and that it will serve a thoughtfully curated selection of high-quality, responsibly sourced meat and dairy. Nomus opened its doors as a local vegan spot back in April 2020. Terrible time to open a restaurant, but I guess the writing was barely on the wall at that time. But since then, it says, because of its vegan-only menu, that it's only had a small number of customers, which has made it increasingly difficult for the business to thrive financially. Yeah, I'll say. Unless they're all super rich and you can just charge them insane amounts of money. That's not likely, though. Unfortunately, since the announcement was made, the restaurant's social media page has been flooded 
with vegans who are a minority in this country, a sliver of the population, but a vocal minority at that. Quite annoying, if you ask me. There have been a bunch of negative comments posted by vegans in response, many of whom, let's be honest, probably don't live in England anywhere near this restaurant. They're just complaining to complain. But it is a very vegan list of social media gripes about all of this. For instance, enjoy the moral bankruptcy and how many animals do you think deserve to die for your business to succeed? How about this doozy? You should work on advertising your vegan options to non-vegans to open up your market as opposed to selling death and cruelty. And responsibly sourced ethical meat and dairy is an oxymoron, I'm afraid. (laughs) Now, in defense of the owner, he did respond, look, it was difficult. We didn't want to do this, but we had too many people walking into our restaurant, looking at the menu, audibly commenting, oh, this is a vegan place, there's no meat, and walking out far more than the few customers who were going there for meals up to that point. Look, there's some pictures in this article. This place has a chance to survive if they start serving meat. It's still a vegan restaurant that is serving meat now, but they've got more of a chance than they did previously. Might be too little too late, though, because now you've just pissed everybody off. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you to Justin Wells of Inside Texas for hopping on for a couple of segments. Thank you so much to you for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.